Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it and hope you are safe and well and warm. There are a lot of uh, troubling issues across the country, deadly issues in some cases, and uh, just uh, real challenges for people, water shortages, heat shortages, electric shortages. We're going to talk about some of that on our program today. Also, we're going to take a look at a trade dispute with Mexico. This one's over potatoes. We're going to talk with the CEO of the National Potato Council. We'll get more analysis of the USDA Outlook Forum numbers that are still coming out from Washington, D.C. DTN's lead analyst Todd Holtman will join us to uh, talk about those numbers. And speaking of numbers, we'll have the latest ag equipment sales numbers as we'll talk with the Senior Vice President of Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. That's all coming up on today's program. But we'll start things off with the winter storm and its impact on the state of Texas. Now, we know a lot of states are severely impacted by the winter weather. Texas having a lot of issues in places they're just not used to having this kind of weather, and uh, it is causing uh, all kinds of shortages water and heat and electricity and of course a challenge for those taking care of livestock joining us now is clint berry with superior livestock clint thank you for joining us what can you tell us uh, about what livestock producers in the state of texas are dealing with right now good morning mike thanks for having me on i appreciate the chance to visit a little bit and you know uh, no different than 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 our brethren in other parts of the country. I mean, cattlemen and, and the farmers and ranchers there in Texas are, are facing a, a winter weather challenge unlike anything most of us have ever seen in our life. I mean, there's ice in the Gulf of Mexico right now, and I didn't think I'd ever see ice in Galveston hmm. Bay, that's for sure. But, uh, it, you know, the, the hardest part probably for Texas compared to some of the, the states further north is the, the infrastructure base was not handled, you know, or not not set up to handle this kind of extreme cold the biggest issue has been the loss of power uh you know because as big a state as texas is you you've got people calving at various times of the year in different parts of the country so you've got cow you know cattlemen calving right now you've got uh you know you had some some yearlings that would have been turned out and and just the loss of electricity from being able to operate some of the machinery um being able to keep the waters flowing uh, for those that are using a you know a pressure tank or a power system mm-hmm. of some sort to keep those waters from from freezing, you know, let alone the day to day stuff that you know the average consumer is dealing with, just keeping their house warm and their pipes from being frozen. But uh, you know, adversity always builds character, and and just just like everything, uh, you know, the cattlemen and and the ranchers are out working hard to you know try to save their livestock and do the best they can in the situation and. You know, you've always kind of got to be an electrician and a plumber and a carpenter and a welder and a veterinarian all mixed in one when you're a rancher. And and uh, when the weather sets in like this, you, you just got to you got to be a little that and a little bit more, it seems. Any feed shortages or or what about the challenges of just getting uh, moving around and getting feed to the livestock? That's probably been one of the tougher parts because, you know, a lot of their equipment's not set up to handle the snow and the ice, specifically the ice. Um, I haven't heard vast reports of limitations on feed. Um, 
now that the you know in, in most of the areas we're starting to turn the corner now on on the cold and and as we move forward it'll start warming back up in most parts of the state uh you know i, I think that would be a, a minor issue there aside from perhaps the cattle on feed in some of the locations in the yards that mm-hmm. that were having trouble with power to their feed mills uh you know that's going to be an issue there and those cattle on feed of course you know just from the severe cold are going to be backed up a little bit on the days on feed on when that harvest date's going to come uh, you know, going to have to struggle through that winter side of it and through the adversity, through the cold, and put that put that weight back on those cattle and probably have to back them up a little bit. Uh, the, the biggest I, issue, though, is, is what you said about actually getting the feed to the cattle. Mm-hmm. You know, that's in, in a lot of cases, that's going to be the biggest issue because a, a lot of Texas is, you know, what they call cake and grass country. So, you know, for the most part, they're grazing through the winter, Um with a supplementation of a, of a protein and an energy source. And, of course, during this time of the year, that's going to get a lot worse. Clint, I know it'll take a while for the assessment to, to be done, but have you heard of any reports of, of livestock losses, any cattle losses that you've heard of? No, I mean, with without a doubt, there will be, and probably more severe than what they've seen in years past. Uh, I ha- At this point, I have not heard, you know, any any factual data i mean i i know some of my customers and stuff have, of course have lost some cattle through this situation specifically those that were calving that'll be the you know the toughest part just trying to keep them them day old calves and stuff uh you know from freezing and you know like i said the, the infrastructure's not really there on most ranches to have shelter like they do in in the northern states where they're you know they deal with this kind of weather on a more on a regular basis and so, you know, they've done the best they can about bedding those cattle down and, and trying to get them into places to get them out of shelter. But I, at this point, no, I have not heard any, you know, hard data. Yeah, I, I think that's the key here. I mean, a lot of cattle producers listening in other parts of the country say, hey, we deal with that in the wintertime. But for yep. many in Texas, these are just conditions that they're just, they just don't usually deal with. That's right. That's right. The, I mean, you got to you know, put it in perspective, these are historic uh, cold spells. I mean, we, we've, you know, a lot of parts of the state seeing uh, negative temperatures for extended period of time and, in, you know, where they might have a winter that it, it was would be considered extremely cold at 30 degrees. You know, the, the basis of the infrastructure of the system from the, whether you're talking the electric grid or, or the depth that the water lines are put in or the, you know, the plumbing into whether it's buildings or homes or waters or all of that is compromised in that kind of cold because it's not normal for the state. And it, it just complicates matters. I mean, it's, it's no different than any other state where the cattlemen are, you know, have had to face adversity and fight through it and do the best they can with what they're able to do. But it's, it's just been one of those record storms that, you know, dipped so far into the cold and so far south that it's, that that makes it so difficult you know the northern part of of texas deals with weather like this uh, in the panhandle area i mean that's that's you know as much considered like southern colorado in essence Mm -hmm. it's so close to there closer to denver than it is to dallas fort worth but when you start talking about negative temps or or you know below 15 degrees in houston and galveston and south texas and places like that that that's where it it just really hits hard because they're just not set up to be able to handle that kind of extreme. Well, as you said, the temperatures are starting to moderate, and hopefully conditions will improve uh, soon. Clint, thank you for the overview and the uh, the update on the situation there in Texas. We appreciate it. 
Yes, sir, Mike. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. You too. Take care. Clint Berry with Superior Livestock with a look at the situation that uh, beef producers, cattle producers are dealing with there in the state of Texas. And again, uh, a lot of challenges uh, for those in the livestock industry all over the country with this winter weather, but especially in a state like Texas and especially in those southern parts where they're just not used to having anything close to these kind of winter conditions, a real challenge for them. Well, we have a trade dispute with Mexico. It's over potatoes, and we're going to talk with the uh, CEO of the National Potato Council. Cam Quarles joins us next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, with this push for EVs, could this bring about some kind of an alliance between the oil industry and the biofuels industry? Would you be in favor of something like that? What are your thoughts? We both make liquid fuels. EVs are going to cut into our market share. Why don't we join forces and fight off the EVs? But I think that's the wrong political calculation. I think EVs are going to increase no matter what. But their numbers are so minuscule, they're not going to take market share from us for years. If Biden and Congress are focused on policies to get to net zero emissions by 2050, we have more in common with EVs than we do with fossil fuel. We've got to be brave in this moment and resist the temptation to join forces with refiners, build new political alliances that enable ethanol to to grow in market share, even though overall fuel use will shrink. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. 
You're listening to AO Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we have a trade issue with Mexico over potatoes. Joining us now is the CEO of the National Potato Council, Cam Quarles. Cam, good to talk with you again. What's going on here? Hey, Mike. Yeah, we. Um, so it, it, it looks like we're getting to the end, at least of the legal process, in a very long um, uh, trade dispute that we've had with Mexico. So U.S. fresh potatoes have been effectively prohibited from entering Mexico for uh, really forever. Um, over the last 20 years, the U.S. has worked really aggressively to try to get access to that very valuable market. The um, a- After years and years of negotiations, the Mexican government had initially agreed to, to finally relent, and they, they uh, took action to allow us in. Their industry immediately sued their own government, and these legal cases, which blocked our access again, have made it all the way to the Mexican Supreme Court, but we finally have a draft ruling in hand. This, Mike, the, the Mexican Supreme Court operates much differently than the U.S. Supreme Court. They, they actually, they put out a draft ruling, and then they schedule a meeting to go vote on it. And so the draft is out. Next Wednesday, there will be a formal vote. The draft ruling appears to be entirely in our favor and really restores uh, the U.S.'s rights in this case. But we've got to make sure that the justices, uh, at least a majority of them, vote to support it. So if that happens, we think that uh, it really paves the way for finally having access to this market. You're talking about right right now, Mexico on processed potato products is our second largest market. We think that could double uh, to $450 million a year if we get this access. So this wasn't covered under USMCA? The, this, because it was a legal uh, dispute, it was a, a series of, of injunctions that the Mexican industry had filed against their own government, USMCA really had no ability to, to affect that directly. Clearly, if the ruling went against us, uh, or if it dragged on uh, e- even longer, we were going to have to look at that USMCA was going to be our alternative. We would take it effectively to the dispute mechanism that exists within that trade agreement to enforce our rights. That was really the next step. But if we can get this ruling in place from the Mexican Supreme Court, it saves a lot of time and a lot of grief and and it gets us back to business. So we're talking with Cam Quarles, CEO of the National Potato Council. So this was about the Mexican domestic potato industry trying to uh, basically protect their market. They didn't want uh, our potatoes coming in there. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. It was, it was really, it was a a legal maneuver that was, um, there were, all of the technical issues had been resolved. That's how the Mexican government moved to, to actually allow us to have access. And this legal maneuver was simply to, to block our access on a protectionist basis. The, the interesting thing, Mike, is this goes way beyond potatoes, though. It was the potato industry down there, they, they were the ones filing the legal action. 
But what they questioned under these lawsuits was the Mexican government's ability to allow any agricultural uh, product mm -hmm. to enter their borders. They basically said the Mexican government had no authority, no expertise to allow them to make those type of decisions. So if the Supreme Court ruled that we, this draft ruling is entirely in our favor, if, if it had not been entirely in our favor, effectively anything that the U.S. or any other country was shipping to Mexico could be questioned by domestic interests mm -hmm. who had a protect, protectionist motivation. Well, that's what, that's what I was thinking. I mean, this would set a precedent. If potatoes, if the potato growers could do it down there, then anybody else could do it too, seemingly. That's exactly right. And you know, that the uh, obviously this is this is a this is a huge deal for our industry. But looking more broadly for U.S. agriculture, Mexico is such a big trading partner. Uh, the 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 impact on, on our on our shipments to Mexico as well as just broadly to the Mexican economy of having a threat like that to all of their agriculture imports is it's huge. So during this, are we getting any potatoes in there at all or are we completely shut out? We, so we have processed potato products that are going in. Uh -huh. um, Mexico it, it, as a way of kind of trying to have it, have it uh, both ways effectively what they did was they said a number of years ago, they said, well, U.S. fresh potatoes can come into the country, but they can only come in a certain number of kilometers from the border. And it essentially was a geographic area where there weren't a lot of customers. And that, that was a political ploy. There's no, there's no scientific reason around that. There's no, there, it's not in keeping with any of their trade responsibilities. But it was a way for them to say, well, we're actually letting U.S. potatoes in. They're not. Um, you, you can't access Mexico City or any of the big population centers, um, but it was kind of a way of, of trying to have it both ways. It's just a reminder of how complicated these trade issues can be and technicalities, loopholes. I mean, uh, it's amazing what uh, can come up to prevent free trade. It it really is. Um, it's such a it's such a complicated, multifaceted uh, process. And you know, like I said, this this issue has been out there for well over two decades. That it's been actively worked on. Obviously, it's existed for much longer than that. But the U.S. government has been working on it for almost the entirety of my professional career. Um, so it, 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 it really, when you step back and look at all of the kind of chapters in this saga, it, it is a very, very long story. Okay, so what's the timeline now on getting it resolved? So uh, we, because the Mexican government had taken all of the necessary steps to open the market, we think that once this, this legal ruling is in place and that impediment is, is removed, the the regulatory process of you know, you've got to you know publish all of the requirements for how you how you actually access it's all the mechanics of how you access the market that can all happen very quickly because they've already done it um, so uh, we're you know we're we think that they can they can do that in a matter of weeks to to months um, so certainly for this coming season it's it's very well in hand. Overall, let's take beyond Mexico. How are your exports going? Well, you know the the obviously the 
pandemic, as I'm sure a, a lot of the folks you talk with have indicated, you know, it, it really it it really hit the food sector, food food service sector, both domestically and internationally. Things things are recovering, um, but it, you know, it, it's it's it, it, the the thing that you and I had talked about a, a number of months ago is when you get that you don't have that steady durable reopening, you get that kind of sawtooth pattern on the graph. It gets to be pretty pretty challenging. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think things are, things are coming back to life and we're looking forward to clearly a much better, uh, 2021 than, uh, 2020. A lot of the programs that the federal government put in place, the relief programs have carried us through this, um, uh, this, this challenging period of time. It kind of kept us in the game while our, while our exports can recover. As, as you may recall, 20% of all of the potatoes produced in the United States have got to find a home offshore, either through processed products or fresh exports. So we are a heavily export-dependent uh, commodity. All right, Cam, it's been a while since we've talked. Uh, uh, a whole new uh, political landscape in Washington, D.C., a lot of issues, labor and uh, uh, climate, a lot of those issues. I know your industry will be very involved in those talks as well. Yeah, it is. We uh, uh, you, you hit on on several of them: trade, uh, ag labor reform. You saw that the the uh, White House has inter- introduced a bill um, yesterday. Uh, we've got um, the appropriations process is starting up, and you know we're going to have a new Secretary of Agriculture here. Um, that confirmation vote is likely next week on Tuesday. So um, there is there is a lot going on. Um, I, you know, I, I think we're um, we, you know we're we're hopeful that. Uh, that both sides can get together and start um, start agreeing on some things. Ag labor is going to be one of the challenging ones. It's going to it's going to take some bipartisan cooperation to get that across the finish line. Yeah, we'll see where this immigration proposal goes, and uh, especially how it would impact ag labor. We'll talk more about that in the future. Cam, good to talk with you again. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Take care, Cam Quarles, CEO of the National Potato Council. All right, USDA's Outlook Forum continuing to put out numbers and projections. We'll get some analysis and reaction to those numbers from our next guest. DTN's lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us. We'll go over these numbers and how the markets look at them and where that takes us moving forward. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, 
so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. Well, as we take a look at export sales numbers released this morning for corn for the week ending February 11th, were 39.3 million bushels with total corn commitments of 2.305 billion bushels, now up 134% versus a year ago. Sales for soybeans fell to just 16.8 million bushels for the 2021 uh, crop, but total commitments are now 2.199 billion bushels, up 79% from a year ago, and nearly 98% of the USDA's 2.250 billion bushel projection with six months left in the marketing year. Wheat sales commitments remain 5% higher than a year ago. We take those numbers along with the USDA Ag Outlook Forum numbers continuing, and we see grains trading moderately higher across the board, led by soybeans so far here this morning. Right now, March quarter unchanged at 550 at a quarter. July quarter up one and a half at 540 at a half. September corn up three and three quarters at 487 at a quarter. March soybeans up seven and a half at 1382 and a half. July beans up seven to three quarters at 1372 and a half. And September beans up ten and a half at 1243 and a quarter. March bean meal up a dollar ten a ton at 427. March bean oil up 48 points at 4739. March Chicago wheat now down a quarter penny at 662 and a quarter. March Kansas City winter wheat three higher at 639 and three quarters. March Minneapolis spring wheat one and a quarter higher at 633. Meantime, livestock are higher across the board. We got good export sales numbers for beef and pork this morning. Lean hogs for April up 70 at 85.62. May hogs up 70 at 88.27. March feeder cattle up 30 at 138.50. April up 7 at 141.82. February live cattle up 52 at 115.65. And April lives up 17 at 123.10. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, in our conversation with Cam Quarles, we were talking about ag labor and the immigration bill. Congressional Democrats have introduced a immigration bill that is backed by President Biden, and it would require farms to start paying overtime and provide an expedited path to citizenship for undocumented farm workers. 
the measure, 353 pages, pretty much eliminates an exemption for farms from federal overtime and minimum wage requirements that is in current law. Family members would continue to be exempt. The bill does not include any reforms to expand or replace the H-2A visa program for foreign farm workers. Year-round work is ineligible for H-2A. So we'll be talking a lot more about this proposal in the days to come and how it will would impact ag labor. So as we've seen before, these things get introduced and uh, then, the, then the real debate begins and we'll see where it goes from here. All right, so a lot of numbers coming out of the USDA Outlook Forum. Here to talk about them is Todd Holtman. Todd is DTN's lead analyst. Todd, thank you for joining us. What's your biggest takeaway so far from the Outlook Forum? Good morning, Mike. Uh, well, you know, uh, whenever USDA puts out a new batch of estimates, you kind of hold on tight. You never know what to expect. They don't always see things the way I do or other analysts do. But in this case, uh, I have to give them kudos, a, a bit of a pat on the back. The, the new crop estimates that they put out are actually very close to my own uh, personal expectations. And, and a lot of it hinges right now on their spring planning expectations. Uh, and that's something that they tipped us off to on Thursday morning. Yeah, what would you think about they're projecting 92 million corn acres to be planted, 90 million soybean acres? I think that's fairly close. My own uh, personal estimate was 92 million acres for each, and that puts us up close to uh, the highest. Uh, well, it's a new record high for corn-soybean combination, and if you include wheat, that's closest to the highest three crop total uh, we've seen in modern years. So uh, I think there's no question that there's going to be plenty of incentive to get out and plant everything people can this year the way uh, prices are. And uh, so uh, my only concern about USDA's estimate is 90 million acres of soybeans uh, might be accurate because I know there is a tendency for farmers to uh, be more comfortable with corn. Uh, but uh, 90 million acres of soybeans isn't going to cut it this year. We need at least 92 million acres planted just to keep our supply situation at status quo. Yeah, this is the interesting place where we're at now. Um, an increase in acres. They're projecting, of course, more production. But uh, because it's different this year with the lower stocks number, uh, we can handle that, right? In past years, that would have been very bearish. Yeah, exactly. Uh, any big increase like planning uh, in any of the past five or six years would have just been <laughs> horrible news and and uh, just added to the big surplus totals that we've been struggling with the past several years. But you're right, this is a totally new environment, uh, largely dependent and due to China's uh, big escalation of demand. And by the way things look, I think USDA overall uh, agrees with uh, myself and other analysts that feel that the demand is here to stay at least another year. And it's going to be a bit of a struggle, actually, for us to uh, keep our, our surplus situation up. What are they projecting? What's USDA projecting on sales to China? Um, now, sales to China specifically, uh, I didn't see that number. This, they come out with, uh, you know, general demand estimates. Right. But uh, there were many sessions about China yesterday that I did get to sit in on, and uh, they all agree that uh, China's demand is legitimate. It's for real. One of the USDA officials, uh, ag economists, uh, just came out and said China has a corn shortage, 
and they don't have the ability to produce what they need right now. And uh, that's kind of been my view uh, along since this summer, uh, judging by what we're seeing with internal prices and their export situation. So uh, uh, they, they acknowledge that uh, uh, China is in a bit of a tough spot, actually scrambling for uh, grain and oilseed supplies. And that's re- reflected in the demand numbers. I can just start with the corn balance sheet. Even with 92 million acres planted, Mike, uh, USDA is only looking for 1.55 billion bushels of ending corn stocks this year, which is very close to what we're, uh, our expectation level is right now. Um, now, there, there can be some minor things I might disagree with. I'm not sure if uh, we're going to get 250 or 200 million bushel increase in feed demand uh, th- that sort of thing. But overall, um, I, I would say that uh, the general out- estimate that they've outlined here is, is uh, fair, and I think it's a, a reasonable assessment. We're talking with DTN's lead analyst, Todd Holtman, looking at the numbers from the USDA Outlook Forum. So this has kind of been billed as an unofficial crop report. Uh, what do you make of how the markets look at this, and where do we go from here? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, because This is so early, and these February outlooks uh, don't really have much price impact, and we're not seeing much price impact here in today's trade. Uh, But they do just kind of set the tone of the conversation of expectations uh, for what we're talking about for the year ahead. So as everybody knows, we're still a long way off before we have any good handle on what actually will be planted. We don't know what crop weather is going to be like this summer, and we certainly don't know how demand is going to go, and demand is the big wild card uh, this year. But uh, so we're this is very early in the guessing stage. Yeah, those those acres, uh, I, that's really going to be fascinating. Weather will have a big part in that, of course. Uh, when we looked, we talked about 92 million corn, 90 million projected for soybeans. Uh, cotton was relatively flat, uh, maybe a little rise, wasn't there, in, in wheat acre projections? What did you make of the mix of how all that came out? Um, on, on wheat, it's reasonable. On cotton, they kept uh, the, the planting estimate at 12 million acres. I could actually see that going down a little bit. Uh, and cotton prices have rebounded also, and they've also benefited from Chinese exports, by the way, uh, just much like corn and soybeans have. But uh, in the case of cotton, I think there's going to be such a competition for acres uh, that cotton's not going to be at the top of the list. And in the Western Plains, we continue to have serious drought outlook expectations uh, extended now through the end of May by the Climate Prediction Center. And that makes me wonder if uh, sorghum's going to be a popular crop in the Western Plains this year. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. So it sounds like then and we kind of expected this, that there's strength in this market for some time to cut for the foreseeable future, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, I can see prices trading choppy to sideways. uh, And in the case of soybeans, we obviously have a big record harvest still on its way from Brazil. It's a low and little slow in coming, but uh, that's going to ease a lot of our demand pressure here in the U.S. It's very difficult, however, to see in a scenario where either corn or soybeans gives up big gains in this kind of environment. The, the, uh, it's just no matter how you look at uh, what angle you look at from, it's going to be very difficult to see how we rebuild supplies anytime soon. 
and any kind of weather issue in in our growing season this year that uh, that the markets will really react to that right with these tight numbers yes absolutely you know uh, soybeans are ending stocks to use estimates already below three percent it's it's the lowest on record and as you say if we add a weather concern to that you know it's just katie bar the door uh i i can't even imagine what prices might run to in that scenario but uh, yeah this is supplies are legitimately tight there'll be heightened scrutiny on planting conditions and then throughout the growing season for sure uh finally what's what's the latest you're hearing out of south america uh, South America, the forecast remains much the same. They continue to get uh, a heavy wave of rain across central Brazil, uh, keeping that harvest progress slow. There is some progress being made. Uh, lighter rain amounts uh, are in southern Brazil, and Argentina is a little bit on the dry side uh, in the forecast. Um, so that hasn't changed much the past week. So it uh, continues to be a very slow progress. Uh, getting the soybeans out and getting that second corn crop planted. Yeah, it's a it's a double whammy, right? Uh, the the weather slows the soybean harvest and slows their planting of that uh, safrina crop. Yes, exactly. They, they, both of those go hand in hand, and they can't get the corn in until they get those beans out. As we all know, uh, we can relate to this. Moisture is usually welcome uh, in uh, in in agriculture to a certain extent, of course, but the uh, timing of it is, is the key, right? Boy, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've seen that in spades the past several years. Yeah. All right, uh, Todd, interesting numbers. Uh, I, I guess no real bombshells, right, from USDA's outlook for them. No, uh, really, uh, that's very true. No big uh, surprises here and uh, very much in line, I think, uh, with a very reasonable expectation given everything we know today. Very good. All right, Todd, thanks a lot. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Mike. Todd Holtman, he's a lead analyst for DTN. We'll have more analysis of the Outlook Forum projections coming up on our program on Monday. But up next, we'll get the latest ag equipment sales numbers. Are we seeing them go up with this rally in the commodity markets? We'll talk it over with Kurt Blades, Senior Vice President of Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We talk with him each month to go over the latest numbers and what they're telling us. That's next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, joins us. So what do these 2020 numbers tell us when you have a record in pork exports and even though down some in beef still finishing strong in the year during a pandemic? What does that tell us? Despite all that, people are still eating and we're seeing that in the numbers. Now, it's by no means business as usual. There is massive disruptions and a lot of shifts that had to go on. Retail is booming. E-commerce platforms are booming. And I think that's one of the positives we can take into 2021. We can build on the momentum at retail, the momentum on e-commerce platforms. And you know what's going to happen in 2021? Over the course of the year, we're going to see tourism start to come back. We're going to see food service start to come back as well. And we are actually forecasting new records to be set on beef and pork for 2021 as well. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you. Cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. 
Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Callers threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, hang up, do not provide. .ssa.gov. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Each month we talk with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President of Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers to get the latest ag equipment sales numbers. Kurt, thank you for joining us. What uh, do the January numbers show? Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. Uh, The January numbers uh, continue this positive trend we've been seeing for the last few months with ag equipment sales. I'll tell you, I like the positive numbers that we're seeing in January. We're seeing already starting off the year uh, with some solid numbers, uh, kind of across the board, but specifically in small tractors as well as uh, in other categories as well. Those low horsepower tractors have really stayed strong even uh, through you know a tough economic uh, period for agriculture. They've stayed pretty strong. They've they've uh, really been outperforming expectations for. You know, well over a year right now, but uh, but specifically, as you know, we ended the year last year 20% higher than, than last year with those under 40 horsepower tractors. Uh, this year alone in January, we've seen a, a jump of about 30% just in January, and that's about almost 3,000 new units uh, were sold uh, of, of under 40 horsepower tractors in the month of January. Yeah, there's a lot of contributing factors there. I mean, that's not all ag market. It's a lot of lifestyle people. But also recognize that I'm sitting here in Des Moines with a foot of snow on the ground, and nothing makes you want to buy a new tractor more with a snow blade on it than uh, than a foot of snow sitting on your ground. So I think there's a lot of demand that's being being driven by a number of factors, but uh, I think snow is probably part of it. All right, so we have this market rally going on. Just talked with an analyst who sees this uh, strength in this market continuing for some time. I would think that bodes well for ag equipment sales moving forward. Well, I, I, I like to think so. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, you know, the, the commodity prices rally that we've been enjoying the last couple of weeks or last little bit is uh, is a welcome change. Farmers deserve it. Obviously, we know that, uh, that that's a good thing. So, Love it when farm income increases. Love it when farmers are able to take home a little bit more money. Um, and obviously, uh, representing equipment manufacturers, we love for that that uh, those profits to be reinvested in the farm and capital equipment. So, the short answer to the question is, Mike, I fully would expect uh, that to continue on with this trend of some nice numbers in in January and throughout the rest of the year, as long as the commodity prices hold. I would expect the equipment market, both new and used, to remain strong for uh, for a little while anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the higher horsepower tractors? Are you seeing any uh, rebound for them? You know, the higher horsepower tractors have actually been been doing okay. They've been holding their own. Uh, you know, in the month of January, you know, under you know, 100 plus horsepower tractors, they were basically flat with about a you know a, a percentage above last year. Articulated four wheel drive, we've seen some nice increase there with the big horsepower tractors that 
you know, rate basically an increase of about 33%. And self-propelled combines also seen some nice growth uh, in the month of January, about 75% uptick in the month of January, specifically on combines. Uh, you know, chore tractors at 40 to 100, 100 horsepower range, uh, those also saw some nice some nice growth as well. So kind of growth across the board. Um, you know, maybe with the with the lagger being those uh, those 100 plus horsepower tractors, but also recognize January typically is not a uh, historically not a very strong for equipment sales. So any jump is going to be great, and we're seeing you know we're seeing some good numbers. We're happy about it. Any improvement in that Canadian market? Well, Canada, is, as you, uh, you know, are alluding to, has been a tough one for a while. Uh, January numbers and even the December numbers before that started to show some improvement. And so, it, you know, I think we're starting to see some equipment sales increase and improve in that, in that Canadian market. In fact, we saw, you know, sizable percentage numbers across the board in all categories in Canada in January. Uh, the volumes aren't, aren't quite as high as they are here in the United States, but certainly pointing to the fact that maybe there's some improvement, uh, some long overdue improvement in that Canadian market and in that Canadian farm market. Because as you are, are quite aware, Western Canada has just been brutal for farmers in the last, last year and a half. So if we're seeing the, you know, those uh, commodity prices increase, hopefully that's translating to uh, you know, getting some of the farmers out of the, out of the uh, doldrums that they've been, in, been dealing with in Canada for the last year and a half or so. You know, I always look at these numbers, Kurt, as kind of an indication of a farmer confidence uh, in the economy. And obviously, after a long downturn in the ag economy, it takes a while to rebuild that confidence, even when you have a good rally going like this market is right now. But as it continues, I think, and these sales pick up, I think that that shows that uh, a growing confidence by farmers. I would I would agree completely is that it's, you know, again, you got to think a lot about your the future of your operation to invest in capital equipment. And, you know, a lot of these pieces of equipment, certainly the higher horsepower ones, are not cheap. Uh, so you got to feel good about your future, and that's a good indication of your confidence. I, I would echo that completely. And I'll tell you, Mike, what, what we're hearing from economists, I know the USDA uh, Outlook Forum is going on right now, and there's a lot of indications. A lot of economists are saying we're – this is next couple of months, next couple of years even, are going to be okay for agriculture. So hopefully that translates into good confidence. Hopefully that translates into high income at the farm level. And obviously I hope that translates to a lot of equipment sales for the next mm-hmm. few months and years. Did seem strange, didn't it, not to kind of kick things off with the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. That's always kind of a time for uh, folks to come out and kick tires and get ready for the season. Well, that's where we would be right now. Uh, we would have just gotten back from that. So, yeah, I miss mm-hmm. I miss seeing everybody in person. I miss seeing the new technology in person. And I am looking forward to Commodity Classic happening here in a couple of weeks uh, virtually. In fact, I encourage your your listeners to uh, to register for Commodity Classic because there's a ton of great content uh, that's being put forward out there and trying to find a way to at least some way replicate farmers getting together to talk about what's going on in the industry. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, I, I hate not being together. I hate not being at the and Louisville at the show, and hate not being at all these things. But this too will pass, and we'll be back together very soon. That's right, Kurt. Thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Mike. Take care, Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President. Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. That wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Be safe, stay warm. Talk to you again on Monday here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.